If you'd turn in your Bibles now to the second chapter of the first letter to the church at Thessalonica, we'll pick up in verse 7, and really this is a continuation from last study, and, and three more characteristics of greatness. And to remind you that it is not those who are receiving a paycheck from a church that are the only ones in ministry. Every last believer on the face of the earth, from the time that you receive Christ to the time that you go home to be with Christ, is in ministry. You're all in ministry. We are all in ministry together. And while there is a thing called ministry, per se, church employment, if you will, The body of Christ is supposed to be trained up, as Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, for the work of the ministry. So in that sense, you are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while in a great way these things certainly pertain to those of us who are in full-time ministry as a profession, it is also for each of you as a child of God, to remember that you have a wonderful ministry as well. And in fact, a vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ do so by the work through a single person's life to bring them to that place of faith as they share the gospel, as they live life, as they do those things that we should be doing. It is really people coming to faith in Christ one by one through the work of individuals that brings most people to faith. And so you have a beautiful ministry, a wonderful ministry, and a very prosperous ministry that should be yours. As we saw last time, Paul had holy boldness. He, he had grace coupled with that. There was a wonderful work that God was doing through the Apostle Paul. There's a wonderful work that's done through pastors. There's a wonderful work that's done through the church staff and the ministry of the church. But there is also wonderful, glorious work that is going to be done through you. And it is to that place that we want to speak today so that we can be effective in ministry together. And so would you join me as we pray? We'll pick up in verse 7 here in chapter 2. Father, we thank you for this time together where we can study your word and be instructed from it and grow and be transformed and changed and encouraged, strengthened, And pray that you would add these characteristics to us, Lord, that we would be nurturing. Lord, that we would be willing to pay whatever price is necessary. And God, that we would be also fatherly as well in our care and concern for people. Lord, those whom you want to draw to yourself and encourage and strengthen. So bless us as we study. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking now at the fifth characteristic, if you will, and that being the maternal instinct. And now look at verse 7 here, if you would, with me for a moment. But we were gentle among you. Can, Can I tell you that the world is pretty much sick and tired of fighting and bickering and anger and angst and pressure most people do not want to hear any more of that type of attitude from anyone 
And so as we think on this, remember that the goal of the gospel is to go therefore into all of the world and make disciples of all men. And so if we're supposed to do that, that's the real heart of ministry. There in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it tells us kind of how that works out practically. First in Jerusalem. This is our Jerusalem right here in the South Bay. We then go into Judea, which is the area, the surrounding area. And in Samaria, a little bit further distant. And then the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the gospel should go out from here to all of the earth. And in order for it to do that, it can't just be the work of the church itself physically. It has to be the work of the church universally, in other words, of all believers. And the way that Paul says now to engage the world is to engage the world by being gentle, kind. Most of you probably have had people in your life who are absolutely accurate with the truth, but they've said it in such a way as to almost be barbarous with that truth. Amen? They kind of take out the holy baseball bat of God and whack you right between the eyes with it. That rarely draws people to the kindness, the goodness, and the grace of God. It may get to his justice. It may get to his holiness. They may understand that they're sinners, but they're not so sure about the role of the Savior unless you use that beautiful gentleness that's being spoken of here, being gentle among the church at Thessalonica. And he goes on and gives us three things that we can draw, more characteristics that we can put into practice. As a nursing mother cherishes and nourishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And so the first of these characteristics is that of the maternal nature, and we'll highlight this in a moment. Because you had become dear to us. Do you look at people in your own life that you might have an opportunity to share the truth of the good news of the gospel, that you're a believer in Christ Jesus and you want them to know Jesus too? Are they dear to you? Or are they a project? Are they something that you have to do? Do you look at people with a dearness towards them? In other words, I so want my co-worker to come to faith in Christ. I, I want to express a gentle love that comes from the heart of God that draws them to the Lord. Are they dear to you? Do you look at people that way? Because see, here's the problem. Ministry's not about stuff. Ministry's about people. And people are a mess at times. And if you look at them as a project, then we have a tendency to skip the messy projects. Amen? We all have things. Anybody in here have an attic that you never want to go into? You know why that is? Because it's all kind of like disorganized chaos for the most part. And the rats live up there. You know those rats we have? You got all kinds of stuff in the attic and you look at it like a project. And so rather than getting up there and getting engaged in the work that needs to be done, we just kind of look at it from the workspace only. And so it stays untouched, undone. And he goes on and continues here. We'll take down through verse 11. 
For you, brethren, remember this. Our labor, our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. The second point is ministry is hard work. You've got to give yourself to it. You have to be all in. In verse 10, for you are witnesses, and God also. And that word witnesses is most often translated actually martyr. In other words, you're so all in that people see what you give, and they say you would give your life to that end. And God would agree with them. That's my servant, Jaff, whom I'm well pleased. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we have behaved ourselves among you who believe. In other words, there was such a depth of character that there was no accusation, no case could be made against the character and the characteristics lived out in the lives of these men who were ministering with Paul, these women who were ministering with Paul. Remember, it was men and women who were on the ministry team who were ministering with Paul in Thessalonica. There was nothing that anyone could say that was negative about their character in Christ. Oh, that that would be every church in the world. That we would be so much like Jesus that both God and man would look at us and say, they're just like the Lord. That's the picture that's in view here. For as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. And so now there's a little shift. You see, because you must have truth mixed with love. You need to have love and grace. You can't just have brutal truth. You have to have both those things. But you do need to have truth. And so what the third point brings to us is that paternal side. And again, before we get too far into this, let's finish this and charge every one of you as a father does his own children. Now, some of you are thinking right now in that politically correct mindset that men are like women and women are like men and there's really not supposed to be any difference. I beg to differ with you from the scriptures. There is a fundamental difference between both men and women and the way that God has made us and wired us in a general sense. I fully recognize that there are women who are strong and that there are men who are nurturing. But in a general sense, the reason that you do not hand your infants over to men to nurture is because it will only last for about 10 minutes. That's the length of time that most men can generally be nurturing. Now, you give them a task and say you need to go take them here or go there or teach them this or do this with them, the man is likely to get that part done. But the sitting around endlessly and nurturing the child, and especially in the way that this is said, it literally means to feed the child, to breastfeed the child, that ain't happening. There is a fundamental difference that's in view here, and we need to honor what the Scriptures say. 
A secondary way to look at it is still in our world. In order to make any child, you have to have 50% of the DNA of a mom and 50% of the DNA of a dad. And those two combine. We call that recumbent DNA. The DNA goes together and it makes a new set of DNA, a completely unique person. And so we have in view in Scripture the female attributes of God and the male attributes of God, things that we generally assign as to the basic conditions that exist in life. And as much as we want to try and make everybody the same and we get to pick our own genders, the bottom line is that's not true as far as God is concerned. And so we're going to keep it in a biblical framework. And there is a difference between men and women. Both wonderful, both unique, co-equal in marriage, but there is a very different thing in view here with God's character as he nurtures us, and so we should also nurture others. In other words, there's a maternal lesson to be learned. When you think of a mom, and you think of what happens in those first years of life, You can't even put a man into that place because we are incapable of fulfilling all that's in view here. Because it says a nursing mother. Men cannot do that. Yes, we can pull out baby bottles and all those kind of things. But the full picture here is that closeness that comes from breastfeeding. That closeness that comes from the mom actually taking in nutrients and then feeding that child, in essence, imparting her own life into the life of the child. That's why we work so hard at reminding moms that if you take drugs or if you take alcohol, you can actually harm your child because you are imparting life to the child. And so Scripture is talking about how we need to be nurturing in that way. What we take in, we need to be willing to give. And we need to do it with closeness and with tenderness and with gentleness and nurturing. Because sometimes people need to be nurtured. They need to be drawn near, kept close. Next to your heart. You know, us guys, we're pretty good about getting tasks done. But we're not so good at nurturing. Some of us can do it. Some of us don't do it well at all. But you ladies, it's a built-in fixture. You know how to nurture children. You kind of have to teach us guys how to do that. And that's what's in view here. Think about how moms, how they dedicate their lives. Look, you moms can say amen to this. Your first couple years of life, you don't even have a life when your children are first born. Your life is their life, amen? You're spending all that time making sure they're taken care of and fed and cleaned and changed and place to place. You can't leave them anywhere for more than a few minutes. Your whole, your whole existence becomes the life of that child. That's what's in view here. Are you willing to do that to win people to Christ? Are you willing to step in like a mom cares for her child those first few years of life, giving everything, losing herself in raising that baby? That kind of nourishing. 
that kind of nurturing, that type of closeness, that type of lack of separation, that type of dedication. Now, men are dedicated in a different way, and we'll get to them at the end. But you see, children don't grow up instantly. Like Connie and I, were, we were sitting there talking about, where did those 15 years go from when our children were born to the teenage years and they started driving? Now, you that have children in here, and again, I'm not trying to draw too much from this, but when you think about it, your whole life is your kids, basically. It's like you're the team bus for all the sports and everything's around school. You're, you're investing your life in someone else's life. That's that maternal lesson that's in view here. We need to protect. We need to give special attention. And in fact, the word that's translated there in verse 7, gentle, is actually the same Greek word that is used for infant. So in other words, to be gentle to someone means to be infantile with them. Now here's how this works out. Probably most of you have this. If you either have children, you're here as a grandparent, you have your baby talk, right? Now, you see, if you bring a, a one-year-old and put him right here on the platform, and I say, okay, it's about time you grow up, <laughs> they're going to be freaked out. They're not going to want to be anywhere near you. They're going to be like, get this guy away from me. So what do we do as parents? We pick our babies up, we look at them, we make the stupidest faces on earth, and we make up our own language. You know, you do that whole thing. And the babies are just like, yeah, great, I feel wonderful. Why is that? Because you've been gentle. You've gone to their level. You've gotten out, looked them in the eye, and they're no longer afraid of you. You're not over them, you're with them. That's the picture here. When you want to win people to Christ, you kind of need to get where they're at. And be what they need to be. You need to approach them from their approachable side. Because see, people have an approachable side and an unapproachable side. That unapproachable side, a lot of times, is their difficulties and problems and their things that they're into that maybe need some work. But their approachable side is that childlike side that responds to gentleness and kindness and nurturing and love. Most people respond pretty well to that. And so that is in view here. Be kind, be gentle, be protective. Moms are protective. Uh, we, we used to lose, our son Austin would like just run away in Walmart. And, and I know, can't imagine that, he's our son. But he would hide in the racks of clothes. Now I know nobody else's kids do this, but... And he's not here today, so I can mock him. So, but he would hide in there, and every once in a while, you know, we usually knew what was going on, but we'd, we'd you know, we'd, one time, it was like, he's gone. I mean, he somehow got out of the store. So they did one of those, you know, amber alert things inside the store, and they lock all the doors, and every employee leaves their check stands, and they're hunting everywhere. And, and sure enough, he's inside of one of the displays, He's just in there, happy as can be. But you know what? The whole world stopped for us to make sure our son was okay. We beat him later. 
Well, not really, but... But your whole world stops because you're nurturing your children. And it doesn't matter that they've been silly and dumb. It doesn't matter that they've even been disobedient. You just want to know they're okay. Do you think of other people like that? Do you overlook their rebellion? Their dumb things they do. Does your world shut down so that you can reach them and protect them? And say, look, the Lord loves you. And here's some things you need to know. That's that maternal selflessness. And that's why he says affectionately longing. These are just pictures of of that giving oneself fully, just like a mom does to her kids. The next characteristics. You see, because infants need that, that special attention. They need to be coddled and taken care of. It's why you don't leave your one-year-old out in your front yard with no fence in the street out there. It's unthinkable. You would never do that. They need special attention. And furthermore, it means that you have to selflessly think about their needs versus your own. You're constantly concerning yourself with what's best for my kids. And so in being like a mom, being maternal, we get some true ministry experience because it's deep, it's selfless, it's other-centered. And, and you know what? When, you're, when your children are small, it's not like they write you love letters, right? You're going to do the same task over and over and over and over and over again. And the choice is yours whether you do that lovingly and kindly and gently and sweetly or whether you begin to resent them. And a good parent loves their children in spite of all of that work and is selfless. So maternal. The sixth characteristic not hard to see in this passage. Ministry's not easy. Dealing with people is not easy. Dealing with furniture is easy. You can move it and it stays where you put it. Amen? People, not so much. You move them and they go right back where they were by themselves. Ministry's not easy. And so he says, Look, I, I want you to remember something. There's labor, there's toil, and it's night and it's day. Do you look at an opportunity for sharing Christ with people as something that's going to occupy your time night and day? Do you love people so much as to give that type of sacrificial effort that says, it's going to cost me something to minister the truth of the gospel, the love of God to you? It's an incredible work ethic in that sense. Actually, even the original language here carries the idea of even painful effort. You know, effort that is not going to be not only easy, but might actually be really hard. Distress, hardship, personal agony over someone's life. And there are a lot of people that when they're sharing the gospel, they're good as long as it doesn't cost them something. As long as it's free. But when it costs, then it's like, well, I'm not really so sure. Ministry is hard. It's difficult. We need to be all in, as it were. We need to make sure that we're applying ourselves fully and diligently to that end. 
The word burden here means to be burdened heavily. It's a crushing burden. It's an over-capable, uh, it's a burden that's so weighty that if you looked at it, you would actually go, I can't carry that. You wouldn't even pick it up. But with the Lord grabbing the other edge and people around you doing the same, there's no burden that's too heavy for God. And consequently, none that's too heavy for you if you allow him to carry the part that's his and you only carry your part. And that's all kinds of different ways. And in view here certainly is, is from Paul's perspective, even the financial burden. He didn't want to be a burden on the church, and so he worked hard. He made tents. He continued to keep a job the whole time he was in ministry. I have pastor friends all over the world. And apart from here, in the United States... Almost every pastor I know in every other country all around the world, almost all of them work other jobs. They labor night and day. I myself had the same experiences. I pastored Calvary Chapel Running Springs. I kept a full job for the joy of pastoring a church. Those are the types of things that we need to look at as as real ministry. It's like, Lord, I want to do this so badly. Whatever it takes, I'm in. You give me the joy of doing this, and I'll do what you ask. We need that type of devotion. Uses the term devoutly here. It means to be oriented towards God in this case. In the context here, it means that I so want to be pleasing to God that whatever he asks of me, I will do. Sure, Lord, send me. It's that Isaiah chapter 6. It's like, here am I, Lord, send me. Look, I, I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not the brightest. I know I'm not the most well qualified. But your word has touched my lips, and I know i got to do this, so send me. That type of devotion... And it goes both ways. Can I tell you that God doesn't want to share his affections with you uh, with something else? He wants to have devotion between you and him. Like a husband and a wife. He wants to have exclusivity in that sense. That We'd be wholly devoted to him. He also says justly. Notice this, that there's justness in it. There is justice in it. There's purity in this relationship as we do the ministry of the Lord. One of the biggest things that I think the church struggles against in our world is that the world is looking with glasses that says, I'm looking for hypocrisy. And when they see it, they immediately say, that's why I don't want anything to do with the Lord. That's why we who are in ministry full-time need to be very careful that we're doing what the pastoral epistles teach. That we live moderate and temperate in all things. That we're not living up here while the body's living here. That's why it isn't anathema to me. Some of the salaries, you watch them get posted in the newspaper and going, that is just flat wrong. You see, a case can be made against God because of the case being made against the person. We need to make sure that we're not giving God a black eye. We're not slapping him in the face. We're not doing something to his character by the way we conduct ourselves. We need to be blameless. God should be able to look at our lives and 
That's all good. We have to be careful. We need to be right with the Lord. We need to strive to have that great conscience between men and God. So if the Lord is looking at us, he says, there's nothing there. There's, there's no thing that someone can look at and say, you need to change that, Jeff. Look, the bottom line is talk's cheap, amen? Anybody can say anything. Amen. The question is, can you live it? Amen. Can you live it? It's not whether you can say it. We can all say it. It's when someone watches you live your life, are you actually doing the things you just told them they should be doing? It's an important part of your character. You see, people will always believe what you do over what you say. So if you're not doing what you say, then you make yourself a liar and you disparage God's character because you've claimed allegiance to him. We need to have allegiance to him that bears out in our lives in the work that we do, in the, in the words that we use. There's no substitute for action. You have to act on what you believe. Otherwise, one could say you don't believe it. Does your belief in that sense match your behavior? Or does it belittle what you claim to believe? Does your belief match your behavior? Or does it belittle what you say you believe? Does it belie what you say you believe? Belief and behavior need to be linked together. And the sixth thing being that it's not easy leads to the seventh. That paternal side of God's character that should be available in us as well. And again, Paul, I don't believe, is carrying it too far. I know God's not carrying it too far. But there is that sense that God has both male and female characteristics. He is nurturing and loving and kind and gentle and tender and is easily takes care of children, but he also has wisdom and strength and fortitude and is willing to do the hard thing over and over and over and over and over again when I think of my dad. My dad went to the same basic job for 40 straight years. And at times that wasn't a whole lot of fun. And while my mom was being nurturing and gentle and kind and tender, my dad is over here working like a mad dog, trying to make sure that that roof stayed over our, over our heads. And so there's a sense where you take and combine these two things and you come up with the totality of the character of God. Because God is nurturing and kind and loving and gentle, and he's also powerful and provisional, amen? He also takes care of his kids, And by the way, Scripture says for us guys that a man who doesn't take care of his own household is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I don't know how you get worse than an unbeliever, but I think that's that's not a good thing when God says that about you through his word. So there's a picture that's in view here of God doing what is needed. And sometimes you've got to come along and confront Now, I'm old enough to be of that generation where it was mom would call up dad at work and I would get this, you wait till your father gets home. (laughs) Now, I knew what that meant. I I knew that 
mom had already determined that this was not okay. She had already told dad when dad got there, the the rod of correction was going to be applied to the seat of knowledge. (laughs) We still did that in those days. You see, I understood that fully. And so there was a sense that that authority that my father had, that my mother certainly had in the home, but that my father, when he got home, was going to say, you know what, son, this is not okay. You can't keep going this way. There's time for us to also possess that paternal confrontation ability, that, that, that time when you can look your kids in the eye and go, Sorry, but you cannot keep doing this. God does that with us if we love people. You're going to have to exhort people. You're going to have to come alongside and say, you know what, I love you, man, but you've got to stop doing what you're doing. Not because I say so, God says so. His word's clear on this issue. And here's the problem with us, because in our hearts we're a lot like kids sometimes. I can tell you a few things about kids you probably don't want to know after spending 20 years as a camp director. They will figure out exactly everything that there is to do to get as close to sin as they possibly can. They're not looking to get as close to God. They're looking to get as close to sin as they can without actually sinning. And big people kind of do the same thing. And you need someone to come along that's going to be the man of the house, that's going to step into that situation and say, look, house rules are this. You don't ever talk to your mom that way. You never talk to God that way. You, you can't. If you want it to be okay while you're living here on this earth, which belongs to God, by the way, then you need to do things his way. And so there's a sense of that paternal that we should have as the character of God. We need to do what a spiritual father would do, and that's to impart wisdom, to impart knowledge. One of the problems we face is we've so torn apart the nuclear family in our country that we've made one parent sufficient, and one parent is not the way God designed the world. The single smallest unit of human society is a man and a woman and their children. And now we're like, well, you know, we can use one or the other, or two of one, or two of the That's not the way God made it. Since you need a man, you need a woman. They're, they're wired differently. Men generally are looking to have a task, to get something done. They, they thrive on respect. Women want to be loved, nurtured, cared for. Both can be immensely. One may be more intelligent than the other. We're not talking about intelligence or ability. Simply saying in a general sense, the way God has made us, we need both men and women. And we need the giftings that go with both. That's what's in view here as we engage in the ministry. Each stage of life, there are times, I can tell you raising our boys, there are times when mom was all that was needed. And there were times when dad was all that was needed. And there were times when both were needed in our home. And I think that's true in our world as we try to bring the gospel to people. Sometimes they need a little strong encouragement. Sometimes they say, let's go run this together, son. 
Let's go do this together, daughter. I want to show you the strength that's necessary to keep on persevering to that end. And there are times when you just need to be lovingly encouraged. It's going to be okay. You can see it in the way men generally respond to their children's accidents. My wife has got, she's got like the whole cabinet organized with certain band-aids here and gauze pads there and, you know, ointment here. And I'm going, just rub dirt in it. That's why God invented scabs. It's just a different view, right? Guys are like, shake it off, get up, go do it again. We get on the the basketball court. We're out there, we're bumping heads, we're bashing. It's not a good game unless somebody's bled. Bring them home to mom. What are you doing? It's my child. What are you doing to my child? I'm giving him scars. Every boy needs scars. Every boy needs a little nurturing, too. Needs to be loved on, told it's going to be okay, because dad's kind of... You see, the devil's going to be doing his best to discourage every one of us. It's going to tell you you can get by without all these things. But at the end, we need all seven of them. We need to be bold. We need to have holy boldness. Remembering that God is for us, who can be against us? We need to have boldness. We need to have a pure message. That's an untainted message, a message that's rock solid, absolutely comes from the Word of God. We need to be holy. That means to be Godward oriented. In other words, looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to please you. As I share the gospel, I want God to be pleased with the way I do it. I want to use methods that are righteous. That means that not only do I want to please him, but the things that I do, every bit of it should be okay with him. We don't want to use ungodly methods to try and accomplish a godly end. And then finally, to be maternal, be caring and nurturing and close, warm, gentle, to remember it's not going to be easy. It's going to be times when it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to need to devote yourself fully to the end. Give all that there is that's necessary. And we need to be paternal. We need to absolutely use some strength upon occasion. A little fortitude, a little stick to is a good word. Keep on going. When it gets tough, you press on, you push through. And if we do that, It's going to be really attractive to people because that's the human condition. It addresses the mind. It addresses the soul. It addresses the spirit. It addresses the body. It addresses your circumstance. It it, it makes sure that you understand that life is hard. And at the same time, it reminds you that just like we have human parents while we're on this earth, we have a heavenly father that loves us. Loves us. And wants to be close to us. And because of that, we can be successful in what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and let's pray together.
you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these seven things, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us to be bold in our faith for you. That you would help us to be absolutely pure and holy and righteous. Lord, help us to have maternal care and paternal care. And help us, Lord, to fight the good fight, to wage the war, to fight hard to win. Lord, to push on, God, to pick up our cross and follow you. Lord, there's no greater thing to be engaged in the ministry. And so we pray that you'd help each one of us to find those ministry sweet spots in our own life. Lord, where you are at work, and we're just going to join you there where you're at work. And do these things for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.